0: But if anybody's just thinking that, hey, I, I pay 1000 a month and I rent it for 1200 that's 200 bucks a month cash flow. I think they're in for a rude awakening when they finally do their books.
1: It's time for the Creative Real Estate Podcast. Your source for out-of-the-box real estate investing strategies brought to you by ecospace.com. Now, here's your hosts, Adam and Jason. Welcome back to the Creative Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam AAA. Adams and unfortunately Jason um, is in another podcast interview and so he's unable to be on right now but we've got a phenomenal guest and um, kind of a few cool things about Chase is that he he's an entrepreneur he grew up with a family of entrepreneurs He's also got a podcast called Life Worth Chasing, which ranks, you know, top 100 um, and above for the entrepreneur category. And he's also in the investing category. One of the things that we're going to talk a little bit about is house hacking on this episode. So he's, he did his first, um, his house hacking was his first house. And so we're going to talk a little bit about his experience, the numbers of that. Um and then I think we'll get into a few other questions. But with that said, Chase, let us know a little bit more about you that um relates to getting into house hacking and growing up in a family of an, of entrepreneurs.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on the show, Adam. I'm excited to be here, man. Um, so I've been uh you know I grew up in a family car sales. They own, my dad and mom own two car lots, and I, I learned the hustle, the culture, the grind. Um, but I didn't learn anything about investing. I didn't learn anything about money management. And, uh, I watched a lot of money come into the family, but I watched, watched a lot of money go out and I don't know, something clicked with me around 16 years old that I wanted to keep money coming in, but I didn't want a whole lot of money going out. And, um, I think that was around the time I was in college. Uh, I started learning from some different types of business people. And, uh, when I was 18 going into my, uh, Sophomore year of college, I thought to myself, "Man, I, I have you know a bunch of money in the bank from selling cars. Why don't I go instead of I go rent a house near my college? Why don't I go buy a house and then rent out the bedrooms to my, my roommates?" This was, you know, I don't know, eight years before I ever heard of Bigger Pockets, eight years before I ever heard of Burr or house hacking or anything. It was June two thousand and eight, uh, and I was I was eighteen years old. And I bought a house for 201000 I put 10% down. My dad co-signed for me and I rented out three bedrooms plus the garage and basically lived you know, rent-free for, for a few years. Um, the thing is, is June 2008 was probably the worst month ever to buy a house in, in the East Coast. Uh, it, the market crashed like 40% within six, six to 12 months. Uh, but I kept making money. And a couple years later, I bought another in the neighborhood. A year later, bought another in the neighborhood. A year later, bought another and um, never looked back, man, and moved to the West Coast. I'm in San Diego now. I flip and wholesale and run a realtor referral business and still buying in that same market back on the East Coast.
1: Okay, cool. And does the family still live there as well?
0: Uh, my mom and one of my sisters does. And my dad, he lives in Costa Rica. He's got like a little uh, surf and yoga retreat center there. And then my other sister lives in Bali. So we're a family of adventure and travel and, and real estate is really the the safe, long-term passive income approach that, that I've really taken so that uh, I don't have to work too hard.
1: To To be super clear, it sounds like you have a couple ventures happening simultaneously, including doing some flips. Um, passing off some referrals off to real estate agents. Yep. Um, you probably have rentals. You've got your podcast going on. How many businesses are you running right now? And are they all in the real estate industry?
0: Yeah. So great question. So let's just start with my main, where I get my active income from. And I sort of structure it as like a lead generation business. And then all the investor leads, I myself. So it's an acquisitions business for distressed, off-market residential real estate in San Diego, Tucson, Arizona, and Norfolk, Virginia. Those are the markets I'm in right now. Everything I can wholesale or flip or buy as a rental, I do that personally. Then everything else, it just depends on the deal. Everything else gets referred out to a local realtor partner in that area. I get 35% of their commission check and it goes straight to my brokerage and I have my license hung at eXp. So that's all kind of one business. Uh, and then the rental properties are more personal I don't hold those in an LLC or anything right now um, those are just personal acquisitions of properties um, and then the podcast uh, podcast is separate I don't monetize it right now I run a newsletter, a blog uh, I, I get on Twitter and engage with with people that want to communicate with me there and I'm really my goal for the podcast is just build an audience add a lot of value and then you know maybe down the road if I want to get into coaching, consulting, or raising capital through it, I'll get there. But right now I'm just focused on trying to create the best podcast I can.
1: That's cool. And it sounds like you've done a really great job getting it into the top hundred uh, for, for some time in the entrepreneurial category, which is really, really, really cool. And I know that a podcast that is fairly fresh, under a hundred episodes, it's tough to get there. It's really tough to get there. Once you cross the hundredish, and it's been around for more than a year, it starts to really um, iTunes starts to really notice it and put it in front of people. So, you've, what you've done is is really really cool. Um, so, it's that. it's called Life Worth Chasing. So, how do how do does the listener find that and, and be able to listen there?
0: Yeah, they can go to my website, www.chasemaher.com, and they can find everything there. Uh, Or if you don't want to do that and you listen on Apple or Spotify or Google Play or anything that you listen to podcasts on, if you just type in life worth chasing, it probably shows up after life and then adding a W, but life worth chasing. And the podcast is really all about uh, building a business for your active income using leverage with people or systems or tools. So I interview great business owners uh, and then taking that active income and investing in a real estate, investing in a stock market, but mostly in real estate uh, so you can build legacy wealth and, and, and long-term passive income.
1: Awesome, awesome, good stuff. Um, so let's, let's talk a little bit about house hacking. You mentioned the first one that you got, you bought it for, I think it was 210. You put about 10% down. I think your dad co-signed on the loan with you. You said that you rented out, I think two bedrooms and a garage, something like this. Close, two hundred
0: one thousand, ten 10% down, rented out three bedrooms and a garage, but hey, okay. semantics.
1: Good, good, good. No, I'm glad you corrected me. So I appreciate that. And you, what you said was, you basically lived rent-free or mortgage-free. Um, were you making money af- after having four- uh, friends or four tenants living with you and helping pay the mortgage. Were you were you making money or were you break, breaking even? What was that like?
0: You know, um, it's funny. If we just talk cash flow purposes, you know, net cash flow each month as a rookie investor that doesn't put ten percent for maintenance, ten percent repairs. We're just talking cash flow, right? Then most months I was positive for sure. Um, but if a couple people moved out, um, you know, because it was pretty crowded as as you know, that's five of us in there. Plus I had two dogs and plus I was breeding the dogs. So I had puppies and, you know, we had parties and stuff. Um, so overall uh, I I probably, you, you know, you factor in the recession, you factor in maintenance and repairs. It was not a deal that I ever would have bought with those numbers ever again. Um, but over time, I mean, like anything with real estate, we hope that long-term it goes up, it's come back up and it's got a good amount of equity. in now it's Completely positive, and I learned a lot, which is the most important thing
1: cool and with that with that deal um, you basically broke even there was there was some other issues and you brought something up that I think is really remarkable uh, wh- how you how do you set it is is if you saw another deal like this, you probably would not do it and so it, really what i'm what I'm thinking is is there are so many people that, and it, and it is a little bit frustrating and you obviously understand. There's so many people that they, they say, look, the mortgage is 2000 a month and my rent is 2100 a month. So I'm making a hundred bucks a month every month. That's passive income in my pocket. So, um, and then a moment ago, you, you were like ten percent to this, ten percent to this, you know, twelve percent to this. Uh, make sure you factor in enough for a property management company. That's another ten percent usually. So basically, it's taking half the income. What are your thoughts on What are your thoughts on that? If if you're making, uh, if you have a two thousand dollar mortgage, how much do you need to make to uh, in I guess residual income to have that make sense to you?
0: Yeah. So if I have a $2,000 mortgage payment in my criteria, it's most likely a a duplex or a triplex. Um, And so I want to make, you know, minimum $250 per door on, on residential properties. So let's go single family, Um, single family. Most of the mortgage payments are anywhere from a thousand to 1200 bucks. So I like to be renting those for like 1500 to 1650. And then I'll take about 30% off the top and then that way I'm cash flowing still positive. Um, and over time, I mean, 30% can and and we self-manage and everything as well with virtual assistants. So, over time, it ends up working out. But if anybody's just thinking that, hey, I I pay 1000 a month and I rent it for 1200, that's 200 bucks a month cash flow. I think they're in for a rude awakening when they finally do their books. It just depends on when they do their books. So, um, you know, five to 10% for vacancy, five to 10% for repairs, 10% for CapEx and another 10% for management if you're going to completely offload it. So, you know, safe bet 30, 35%, um, so that you can really make sure that it pencils out over time. And, uh, you know, that first one I bought was like at full retail, June, 2008, as somewhat of a fixer upper had more problems than I realized. Now I know the importance of buying it dilapidated Fixing it up all the way to the nines, refinancing it, and then keeping it uh, for a long term hold, so I don't have to do much to it for ten years.
1: I like that. Do you still own the first I do, house yes. hack? You yes. do. Awesome. And you said that about two years later you bought your second one. One year later you bought your third one. One year after that you bought your fourth one. Uh, are you doing a house hack on each each of these, or no. how are you? I only house hacked the first one. Okay. Got it, got it, got it. So these are rentals. Are they in the same price point? Are they all in the two hundred ish thousand purchase price, or what does that look like?
0: Yeah. So the the per door basis, my first one was actually the most expensive one because uh, I bought it obviously June two thousand eight. But the rest of them, I'm buying anywhere from a hundred to hundred twenty five thousand, putting in like 40,000 worth of work, and then refinancing them. They're all kind of worth in the one eighty five to two twenty five range. Um, And uh, it's mostly single families, a couple duplexes and a fourplex.
1: Got it. And these you own by yourself, not with partners, right? Yes, correct, by myself. Got got it. And um, to the listener, you mentioned that you you purchased some for 100-ish plus and then you put in like 30-ish and then you refinance them out. They're worth 180. So when you're refinancing them out, how much money are you taking back? Are you, are you making money on the refi? Are you covering your costs on the refi? Or are you almost covering the costs on the refi, meaning that you have some money still into the property?
0: Yeah, I don't ever cash out um, just because the interest rate is going to be higher. So, I try to get it to where I'm about even Uh, or if, you know, something went a little wrong or it was in a really good zip code or something like that, maybe I'll leave five to $10,000 in the deal, but I try not to do any cash out on those now. Um, you know, commercial as I'm, I'm starting to learn more about that and getting into that. I think that's, you know, definitely a whole different ball game, but to me, it's not really worth it for, you know, a five or 10,000. So. I structure it with hard money so that the note and everything all included on that about 75, 77, 78% of ARV all in.
1: Awesome. Awesome. And uh, so this, these are mostly in Virginia? Yeah. And when did you move to San Diego? 2014. Okay. I heard that you lost like $50,000 or something when you moved. What, what exactly happened there?
0: Yeah, man. So when I moved, it was one of those, uh, I was trying to get away from the car business, trying to figure out what I wanted to do in my life. Um, I actually had no intention of making my active income in real estate either. All I knew was my, my parents' little yoga retreat down in Costa Rica and I helped them with that and I knew how to flip and sell cars. So from you know helping them with those things and being pretty frugal, uh, I had a college degree and I had about 50 grand in the bank. I moved out to the West Coast and from 2014, the very beginning, I mean, actually, I moved the day after Christmas, 2013. So full 2014 and about three quarters of 2015, um, I just partied, spent my money, traveled, surfed, and thought I was living large. And then I realized about the time I had like five grand left that I needed to really do something. Um, I kind of got kicked in the butt. And I started applying for jobs. I got told, uh, I got declined of being a valet at the Hotel Del Coronado. That's when I knew, like, all right, uh, maybe the W 2 thing isn't for me. I need to figure out what skills I can leverage that I have and build a business around it. Uh, then I got down to about 500 bucks, spent my last few dollars on a real estate agent course by Joshua Smith. And uh, that was late 2015. 2016, Got Rookie of the Year at Keller Williams as a realtor, was top 3% in the the, the county. Uh, 2017, even more success. Specialized in investment properties, realized the investors were making more than me. And so 2018 to now, I've been focused fully on the, the fix and flip and wholesale model. Uh, it's just a model that fits my personality of, of sales and negotiation much better than the uh, the realtor model.
1: Cool. I like that. And I want to talk a little bit about something you've mentioned two or three times. One is um, you're, you're talking a lot about the active income and, and that that's important. And you obviously have passive income as well. Um, what is the difference between active and passive income in your mind?
0: Yeah, great. So active income is where I'm trading time for money. And then passive income is where I'm using either people leverage, systems leverage, or investment leverage uh, to really... Um, you know, for example, let's give a property, a real estate property, let's say it cash true cash flow, net cash flow, maybe 250 bucks a month. To me, that's you know, honestly, it's probably semi-passive, but I just throw it in the passive category. Maybe dividends, uh, you know those are passive. Uh, maybe you have an equity share in a business, but you're not actually working in it, that's passive. So I have a goal of funding my entire lifestyle and a good lifestyle at that, 100% off passive income. I'm not quite there yet. Um, but to get there, I have to take the majority of my active income, my flip profits, my wholesale profits, my realtor referral profits, a couple houses that I actually do sell as a realtor still. That's active income. I'm trading time for money. Taking that and investing it in properties, the properties generate cash flow. That's passive income. When I can get to the point where that passive is funding my lifestyle and more, um, you know, I'll be ready for that next next step in life. But until then, it's grind mode.
1: And when you were in, I think it was college, I think you said it was when you were in college, Um, you kind of realized that you wanted to make a lot of money and spend very little money. Is this this how you're able to fund your passive income is by just being frugal and just not spending too much? Is that kind of your thought there?
0: Yeah. So I live off 30% of, of my income. Uh, And I invest uh, close to 70%. I leave about 10% and like, you know, just for emergencies (laughs) and things like that. Um, But I'm heavy in the investing. But here's the thing, like, I still spend money. I just like to focus on getting my active income higher so I can still have a great lifestyle. So, you know, I'm not driving a a crappy car. I'm not, I go on a lot of trips and vacations. I spend money. Uh, I buy nice things. I like to go out and eat at nice restaurants. But there's certain things that I found that don't deserve to be spent money on, you know, a high car payment, um, you know, excessive amounts of designer clothes and shoes. There's just certain things that I think if people really studied their expenses and they actually looked at them. What are the things that you spend money on that truly truly make you happy and then what are the things you spend money on that you don't really need or you're trying to impress other people. Those are the things to cut out and invest 100% of that money, but the things that still make you really happy, keep doing that. I mean, what's money for? It's to to make us happy over the long term. So, I'm not an advocate of, you know, lean fire like on Reddit where people are penny pension and, you know, eating the cheapest quality foods. I like great high quality stuff. But for the things that really move the needle for my happiness and my health.
1: Cool, I like that you brought up you brought up health. Um, What else? So happiness, health. What else is important?
0: Um, I mean, to me, the the most important things are health, wealth, and relationships. So I'm a big component or proponent of. Focusing on myself first and foremost if I'm not healthy if I'm not working out if I'm not eating high quality food getting high quality sleep How can I show up for my girlfriend my parents my family my friends? So to me self and health is most important and then relationships Um, I don't like to have a whole lot of you know secondary relationships I like to have you know a few primary relationships. I can go all in on and spend a lot of time with and then third is wealth and that's where that active income and passive income play comes in.
1: Good stuff. And so where do you see yourself five years from today? So
0: um, still flipping, probably doing way less wholesaling, but still flipping some properties. And I'm actually working on, uh, I'm excited. I don't like to talk about things before they're done, but I'm working on, um, entity creation for commercial real estate. And that's the next play I want to get into for self storage and mobile home parks. Um, so I don't know when this comes out, but probably by the time this comes out, that'll be structured in place and, and hitting the ground running. I've been working really hard and trying not to spend much money being able to stack cash from the flips, the you know, the wholesaling and things. And I'm really ready to take that next step in monopoly and and move up a little bit. I've kind of tapped out myself on the residential where I'm starting to have to get other people to sign for. it, And I don't really like that um, you know, because of the residential loan model. And so I'm ready for that, that next play. So five years from now, I'll be investing in self storage, mobile home parks, flipping some houses and still traveling and surfing and
1: hanging out. Let's go back, if you don't mind, uh, we'll go back to um, that first house hack. Sure. A few things that are on my mind. Uh, number one, I'm, I see I, I heard you say that that your dad co-signed on that one. Yeah. Um, my main question is, did you have to talk him into the business plan? Did he talk you into the business plan or did it go some other way?
0: <laughs> no. He employed me at the time and I was a, a star employee selling a bunch of houses. so he knew where my money was coming he coming from. He knew I could make the payments. There were times that he was right, and I had no roommates, and I was paying the fourteen, fifteen hundred dollars mortgage myself. Didn't have to talk him into it. He, I almost wish I had more involvement from him in terms of checking out properties and helping me out. But it, it was more he had nothing to do with it, and just showed up uh, to the lender and signed the papers when he needed to. That was literally the extent of his involvement.
1: Cool, and. How about when you bought your second property? I think it was two years later. Yeah. Was, was, was your dad, did your dad need a cosign on that or? No, my income had risen higher since then. I had a little bit of a track
0: record. I had actual credit and it was good credit at that point in time. And okay. the value, the purchase price was like 50% of the one before Okay, uh, 2010. It. So no, I, I haven't yeah. had needed any signers uh, since then.
1: The next question that I, that was kind of going through my mind and probably through some of the listeners' minds, you talked about how you bought it for two hundred one, not two hundred ten. Sorry, yep. you bought it for two hundred one, and it lost. I think you said forty percent in value.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: So what? I mean, I'm not doing the math here, but it's like it lost eighty grand. It went to one hundred twenty ish.
0: Yeah, I remember the next year. Uh, I remember being on Zillow and just watching it go from like. you know, I can't remember the exact numbers, but 180s to 160s to 140s. And then I got as low as like 128 or 130 or something like that. And I just remember thinking it was the worst decision I ever made in my life. I'm going to be stuck here forever. The sky is falling. Um, What am I going to do? Um, And that's when I started realizing, okay, if I want to take this serious, I need to learn more about investing. So I read Richest Man in Babylon, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I started reading about Warren Buffett and the quote from Warren Buffett, um, when there's blood in the streets, you know, buy buy when others are fearful and sell when others are greedy. And so I thought to myself, okay, if I can get ha- the same house that was worth 200,000 know, a year or two ago, and now it's worth 130s, if I can buy the same house in the same neighborhood for 130s, then my cost basis will be 175 And if I can do it again and keep getting that cost basis down, then it's a win-win. And so I knew that everybody was fearful. And so that's when I wanted to just get my feet wet again and again and again. And now looking back, that was the best decision that, that I ever made. And I never would have known to do that if I hadn't failed that very first time.
1: The one that you bought for 201, what is it worth today?
0: Probably two twenty-five if if I were to sell it on the market now. Now I've put probably thirty-five grand into it um, okay. and remodels. So I mean it's it's you know, I owe, I think I checked this morning, I owed about 141 on it. Uh, I've refied since then. Like when I first bought it, I had a five point eight five. Now I got a three and a quarter. Um, so you know, in That's my awesome. opinion, it's only way from up here. But the rest of them, you know, good rates, good amount of equity on paper, that was the worst one I've ever done.
1: Got it. And you said commercials where you want to go. You've, you've, you did the single family. Then two years later, you bought something else. One more, one more. And now you have like a fourplex and some other properties. And that your goal is to get into within the next five years is to get into two things. Uh, and I thought that was interesting. It kind of stuck in my mind. You said, uh, I believe it was self-storage and mobile home parks. And the reason it was in my head is because I was really curious, do you plan to be an expert at both of those at the same time? Do you, or, or is it more like you're considering getting into one or the other do you want to do them both I was just wanted to kind of pull pull that and extract that from you um, because I know that there is two schools of thought and I wanted to find out which one you're in one school of thought is uh, I think this was maybe also Warren Buffett I'm not, I'm trying to remember who said it you put all of your eggs in one basket and you watch it like a hawk I, I don't remember what famous investor said that so you basically you go all in on one thing. You become the expert on one thing and you just make sure that that you understand it. You're ahead of the curve on that one thing. And that's kind of how I feel with apartments. I don't want to be in a whole bunch of different asset classes. And then there's others that are that talk about diversification and put a little bit of money in this type of asset class, that little bit over there. But what what are your thoughts on doing two different asset classes when you when you get there within the next few years?
0: Absolutely. Great question. And I want to answer this in a way that I want to preface that um, first, if in five years you said have bought one, then I've failed majorly. I'm hoping within a year I've bought multiple, um, putting together my own cash, have a couple investors and really want to hit the ground running. Um, one of the main reasons why I started my podcast was to interview syndicators and investors of multiple different asset classes so that I could figure out which one fit my philosophies, my skill set, and that I saw the most opportunity in. And so if you go through my episodes, a lot of them are storage, warehouse, mobile home park, and multifamily investors. And one quote from Paul Moore that really stuck out to me was 93% of large multifamily properties are owned by institutional investors that have sold three, four, five times in this market cycle. And to me, what that says is they've really squeezed almost every drop of juice out of that lemon. And so for me, as a a younger guy with less experience in that game, it's going to be harder. So I like the small and medium-sized multifamilies for, for, for me, but for this commercial real estate syndicate uh, I wanted to go after value add opportunities. And one thing Paul Moore said was 73% of self storage and mobile home parks are owned by mom and pop investors, paper ledgers, self managed. So I, I love all the quotes of being an expert in one asset class and all that. And to me, that's great. Maybe I'll realize that and maybe. I'll become the expert in self-storage or mobile home parks. But I really want to be an expert in finding off-market value-add real estate, running the numbers, how to put the deal together, wrapping it with technology and investing—or excuse me, managing it in a way that it works remotely. That's what I want to be the expert at. And I think that self-storage and mobile home parks provide me the, the best route and the best opportunity to get there. Who knows? Maybe we talk a year from now and I say, Adam mobile home parks wasn't it. I'm becoming the expert in self-storage or the other way around. I don't know. And I'm going to be honest. and I'm going to say that.
1: That's cool. Good stuff. I appreciate you uh, sharing that. Um, You've been investing in real estate since 2008. I believe you said June of 2008 is when you bought the first one. And that is right before I bought my first house act too. Um, So you've been a, you, I had a piece of land a few years before that, but actually investing in like rental income, you have more time behind yourself. So I think that that's impressive. And based on what you've learned over the last 12-ish years, um, I want to find out what, um, what you've learned that perhaps you didn't think that you would learn. And what I mean by that, and what I'm trying to extract from you is those big ahas that come and smack you and you, you wouldn't have expected it. And prior to closing the first deal, you, all you thought was, well, I'm gonna learn better how to underwrite or I'm gonna learn better how to manage or something. But these other things kind of were surprises And I think that it'll be really valuable to the listener with someone of your experience, 12 years investing in real estate, um, what those big ahas were and which properties you learned them on.
0: Great question. Can I share two? Oh, yeah, please. So the first thing is um, I'm a huge, huge fan of betting on yourself. With your back up against the wall, no plan B, betting on yourself. That's when I think like the best things happen. And for example, with me and that first house, um, I had no plan B. I, I was underwater within six months of buying that house. So I had to stay there. I had to rent out the rooms. I had to cut corners on, on not cut corners, but I had to minimize costs on maintenance and repairs because it was all, it was my only option. Um, and so for anybody that wants to get in, if you're kind of playing your feet here, playing your feet there a little bit, I promise you, you'll never be successful. I promise you the way to do it is to burn the boats and jump all in and do it in a calculated way. Not like I did it where I just bought it worst month ever, but, you know, to try to be as calculated as possible, but ultimately you got to burn the boats and jump in. And so back, that's when I think like greatness really happens. And then the second thing is the importance of truly selecting the right tenant, um, where I invest in is lower income. It's in Norfolk, Virginia. It's it's you know not the safest city in the world. It's getting a lot better. It's I know it like the back of my hand though. That's where I went to college. It borders my city that I'm from originally, um, and I've had a lot of bad experiences with tenants and doesn't come down to just credit score job history rental history in my opinion the most important thing is actually talking to them and asking them questions and hearing their experiences hearing what kind of lifestyle they live and so if you're investing in residential real estate and you want a little little amount of headaches pick the right tenant um, and and you make your money by keeping the same tenant in there for a very long time that's when you really are making money if you have to change tenants every year so now we're into, you know, configuration of properties, family style homes, the longer you can keep a really good tenant in there, the more positive experience you'll have, the more money you'll make and the less stress it will cause you.
1: Good stuff. Um, Very curious, based on really how you learned that lesson. Do you have maybe one experience where, that you could share of where you picked the wrong tenant? And something bad may have happened. And maybe on the other side, one experience where you did everything that you could to find a really solid tenant and how it's working out. Sure. All
0: right. So we'll start with the bad first. It's a, a single family home, a three bed tube bath, and it was sitting vacant for like three months. I overpriced what I wanted to charge for rent. Uh, I wasn't that great at marketing it and all that. And, um, Just picked what was available for the applicants. Uh, I didn't do that much background checking or anything. I honestly just took the deposit and, you know, expected them to to pay rent. Uh, And about four months in, they started being late. I started getting paid instead of on the first, second, or third, starting to get paid on the seventh, then the tenth, then the 14th, then the 21st. And I was virtually managing this myself, no virtual assistants, no. or anything. This is like the first year I had moved to, to San Diego. I had like four or five properties at the time. And I remember them saying they wanted to move out. They were having arguments. The couple was having arguments. And so I went to go back to visit family. I went to go check it out around the same time that they were moving out, and the place was wrecked. Uh, probably two or three grand worth of damages. And um, lesson one, never walk the place. Place with the tenant there and tell them in person that you're going to keep the deposit because that blew up in my face and they started to make it think that I was being racist and all this crazy stuff that was not the case whatsoever. Um, started getting threatened right there and basically got bullied into only keeping half the uh, the deposit. I just wanted to get them out of my face. Within a week, I had a rock through the uh, one of the windows. Finally, it settled down. Everything went good and we're all good, right? A couple years later, I get a call from the husband and- A couple what? Years later? A couple years later, I get a call from the husband and he tells me that the whole time they were living there, she had a restraining order against him and he wasn't actually supposed to be living there and that she shot him and shot him in the face. And he was wondering if I could testify for him that he was actually living there with her approved. And I basically just told him, lose my number and never call me again. I'm not- getting involved whatsoever. So, that's the crazy story.
1: <laughs> wow. uh,
0: the really good story- That's is,
1: what happens when you don't vet your tenant.
0: Yes. Okay. The really good story is uh, I love Section 8.
1: Dude, I love Section
0: 8. And I love Section 8 for a few reasons. One, they inspect your property for free every single year. So, I get a free inspection out of it. My money comes in like clockwork on the first of every single month. During COVID, I did not miss one pay. Not one rent check was missed. That's how much I love it. Um, they keep your property clean. And if you pick the right Section 8 tenant, they're the most grateful tenants that you gave them a shot, that you gave them the opportunity. And uh, they treat the property. And most of the Section 8 tenants, three, four years, like they haven't been moving out. They, they love it. They stay there. They're very sticky. They're locked in. And they take care of the place. Now, are there a few things you got to deal with here and there? Sure. But you, know, you just want to make sure or you're not renting to a massive family or a bunch of dogs, you know certain things like that, but dude it's consistent it's on time. You can charge like fifteen percent more market rate with the section eight so i'm I'm you know adding a like a hundred hundred and twenty five bucks uh per you know door per you know rent and uh I love it, man, so that was the good experience is that section eight has turned out really well, and I love it
1: if the listener Wants uh, one takeaway about about specifically having getting into their very first house hack that might help them be more successful in doing it. We've we've talked about a lot of different things. We've talked about the numbers and putting thirty percent to the side. We've talked about uh, vetting tenants better. Ha- Based on having a conversation with them, we've talked about um, liking section eight. We've talked about you buying that first property, renting out even the garage, and um, having parties and everything else. And then we talked about you kind of buying other properties. But the it, the listener, if they, if maybe if the title of this had had something to do with uh, house hacking, and they wanted to walk away with just the most epic advice that came from Mr. Chase Maher, what would you say they need to do when they're getting into their own first house hack?
0: And it's the first property they bought? Yeah. I'd recommend, here we go, pulling from Warren Buffett again, buying a good product at a good price. Don't try to hit a home run with your very first one. Hit a nice single or a double, buy a good product, a good house, and a good zip code, at a fair price where it needs some TLC, but it's not so much that you can't do it yourself. And I would recommend if it's a single family, four bedroom house uh, or a two, three or four unit and use an FHA, three and a half percent down owner occupied loan, but don't try to go for a home run heavy fixer. It's going to blow up in your face. And I wouldn't recommend buying full retail because at the end of the day, we're real estate investors, um, you know, not just for turnkey. So uh, that would be my tip is good house good zip code you know need some tlc low money down four bedroom house or duplex triplex or quadplex
1: and it absolutely would make a difference um, by how much you are putting putting into the property so your recommendation on doing an fha loan or maybe a va loan if they could qualify yes of course um, seems seems awesome
0: Yeah, and with rates as low as they are, man, especially with the VA, um, don't worry about, in my opinion, don't worry about the PMI. Get a 30-year note. Don't try to punch the numbers on the 15-year note. Um, Minimize the amount of things that you want to analyze and put the sole focus on just buying a good house at a good price and a good zip code.
1: Love it. Great stuff. Warren Buffett, good product for a good price. Yes. All right, Chase, I've really enjoyed working uh, through this and and learning a lot more about you and and what you have to offer. I recommend that for the listener who resonates with what you're saying that they do and go and find your podcast, your top 100-ranked podcast. And uh, other than that, how does the listener find you and get a hold of you, Chase? Yeah,
0: so the best way is uh, either Twitter or Instagram at I am Chase Maher. So just I am and then Chase and last name Maher, M-A-H-E-R. You can go to chasemaher.com. All the socials and the podcast links are on there as well. Uh, That's probably the best way. I spend the most time on Twitter though. So if you're on Twitter, there's a great real estate and entrepreneur community on there. If you want to go ahead and shoot me a follow, send a DM that you heard me on Adam's show, uh, and I'd be happy to connect with you.
1: Awesome. Chase, thank you for coming on the show on the Creative Real Estate Podcast, sharing the ins and outs of what you've done to kind of think outside the box, get a result and what you're doing by helping other people. Maybe, I guess the best way for me to regurgitate it is share it back is what's really cool is your main, main business is is a business of acquisitions. Your main focus is is finding deals at a, at a discount, at a deep discount. And while you do that, you figure out your exit strategy from there. It sounds like the deal for you, the, the deal tells you, How how it needs to get be as an exit strategy. So you've got the option for wholesaling. You've got the option for fix and flipping. You've got the option for having it as one of your own rentals. And if none of those work, I I love this. It's it it's still okay because if they want to get rid of the house, if they're trying to sell, then even though you don't live in that area through exp you are connected with these people in these three different markets. I think you said California, Arizona, and Virginia. Yes, Is that right? And so you're able to just kind of pass that on to probably another AXP real estate agent. You take, I think you said 35% of the commission. They take the rest. And if, you, if you're doing deals in all, all of those areas, you're making a lot of people happy and you're making a lot of money. I also enjoyed how you talked about Um, something that I've also shared on this podcast. I always say, make the most amount of money you can and put put it to work for you. Mm -hmm. I like the way that you say it though, is make as much active income as you can so that you can put that to work for you so that you can eventually not have to work and and retire yourself, be financially free. So a lot of good stuff. I appreciate you coming on the show. I will put both of those links in in the show notes. And so your um, Twitter and your Instagram handles are are there. And I recommend people find your podcast. You can find it wherever you're listening to this podcast. You just go and, and type in Chase's name or the podcast name, which was Chase Your Dreams. Is that right? Life Worth worth Chasing. I'm so sorry. It's the Chase. I thought that was the first thing. Life Worth Chasing podcast with Chase Maher. I'm going to let you go, my friend. But until next time, think outside the box.